Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello everyone. Today I am chatting with Taya Jansky. Taya holds her Master's of Arts degree in Integrative Health and Healing and was trained as a sex and relationship coach out in Berkeley, California. She is certified in codependency recovery and trained in conflict management, resolution, mediation, dialectical behavior therapy, and complex trauma, and the nervous system. She currently lives in Connecticut with her husband and two daughters. In today's episode, we talk about why some women struggle with a low desire for sex after kids and how we can combat this mismatch in libido among partners. This episode has sexual content, obviously, and I do not suggest listening to this episode with kids around. Perhaps pour a cup of coffee or at night, glass of wine, and listen to it on a nice walk or sitting on your couch relaxing. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode. This podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All right. Hey, Taya. Nice to have you here tonight. We have an awesome topic to chat about. I'm really excited to be here, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me. So we were chatting a little bit before we started here. And, you know, the topic that we're going to be talking about tonight, I think, is a topic that I have personally talked about, you know, with my own friends. And I have heard from many people with my community when I was on social media that people struggle with this a lot, but I don't think people feel very comfortable like voicing it and talking about it out in the open. But it's, you know, about sexual desire and libido after, you know, before and after having children. And as a mother, I feel like, you know, we were talking about this before, like before and after is kind of like night and day. And it can be very difficult, you know, once you do have kids, making sure you put, you know, your relationship with your partner first and your sexual health and all of that. So that is going to be the topic that we talk about tonight. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. I don't know if you want to start talking about, you know, why women do struggle with a low desire. If you want to start there, if you want to start somewhere else, what do you think? So I think a good place to start to, to build a foundation would be the messaging that we receive that's ingrained into us around sexuality in general. Because men and women receive very different messaging around sexuality. And I, I'm not even going to get into religion because I think that that's a whole nother topic that kind of plays into this. But from the time when we are adolescents, men in general are given the messaging that it is okay to be sexual. It is okay to have sexual partners. It is okay to be dirty and masculine and... And for women, we get the exact opposite messaging. Cover up, be appropriate. Don't be sexual because you will be slutty. You know, don't show too much skin. And don't you dare get pregnant and be a teen mom. And so there's really like this fear that's instilled into us around sexuality. And mind you, that's the messaging we get when we're a little bit older. But prior to that, we don't get any messaging at all. We're like, no one talks to us about sexuality. We just learn this abstinence-based education. And so it's like a mystery until we see porn, until, and in your other podcast, you talked about this a bit, until you hear it from friends, until you watch or see porn. 
And so from the get-go, it's very confusing, right? So men are chasing after women and we're supposed to be pretty and beautiful and well put together and clean. And, and then it's hard for us to feel sexual because sex is animalistic and, you know, it's not dirty, but, but it also is because you can get animalistic and dirty with it. And so we have these messages that are ingrained into us, right? And then we, we leave our households and we become adults and we break free from that attachment that we've had with our parents. And for this moment, and, and I'm pulling this information from this awesome book called My Mother, Myself by Nancy Friday that I really love and would recommend uh, women and mothers read. We break away from our parents and, and for this moment, we have this, this freedom where we're allowed to kind of share share our sexuality with this this partner that we meet. And I'm mostly talking about heterosexual relationships here. And so then we have this honeymoon period with our partners. And then we follow the path, we get married and we have children and then boom, libido is gone. We have our sexuality has disappeared. It's a mystery to many people. It's like why why did that happen? From the get-go, our foundation is is kind of screwed because men are given the messaging that their sexuality is okay. And women are given the messaging that our sexuality is not okay. But then all of a sudden we get into this relationship, we feel hot and heavy. And then we, you know, in the in American society, the the socially acceptable thing to do is then get married. So then And this is, this is really interesting because then you form this attachment similar to the attachment you had with your parents. You form this with your partner and you are now relying on them and depending on them for things. And because it's similar to the attachment that you had with your parents, you then your, your sexual desire actually goes away because you start looking at your partner sort of like you looked at your parents. Isn't that kind of strange? So women get confused and men are confused. Like we had this thing together, but then we just go into this like family mode and into this parenting mode and our sexuality disappears. And there are a myriad of other reasons why we lose our desire, right? It's not like hundred percent centered around that, but that's like a basis and a background because I have so many clients who are just like, I don't get it. Like one of my clients was saying, a few months ago, like now that I've had a baby, I just, I feel weird having sex in the house because I know that she's in the house, which it's like, when else is sex going to get done? Because your kid is always in the house with you typically. But it's this innate feeling that kind of comes on based on that, that foundation. So we kind of switch modes, right? And and like you were saying before, in motherhood, we're so focused on the children and then we are tapped out. We're like, you know, we've all heard this term overtouched, where we've been overtouched. Yeah, well, especially when you're, well, you know, in that first year, if you're breastfeeding, you know, it's just a lot because you're with this baby all day, you're breastfeeding all day. And then if you have other kids, they also want your attention. They're also climbing all over you. And it's like, I don't know that I can handle any more attention over my body, right? Like, I want my body to be mine for a couple of minutes. <laughs> and, um, and we need this yeah. break, you know, mm-hmm. we, we have all of our attention goes to our kids and then we give none to ourselves. And then, you know, I'm saying this in quotations because everybody's schedule is different. Like your schedule and your husband's schedule is different since you're in the medical field, but like your husband quote unquote comes home from work and he's like, but I haven't been with you all day. Like I want to see you. And it's hard for, you know, men or maybe the other spouse, because sometimes men are home and women are working, but it's hard for the other spouse to come home and understand that the kids have been hanging all over you because to them, the kids are these wonderful, beautiful, funny, intelligent, awesome creatures that you just want to run around with and jump around with. And it's exciting and you haven't seen them all day. And so they're these perfect little creatures. Whereas to the parent who's been at home all day, they've been through, you know, wiping butts, the puking, the screaming, the fighting, all of the above. And that's probably the 
the single biggest challenge I see couples deal with, they don't understand each other. Like mom doesn't understand dad and dad doesn't understand mom and where the other is coming from. And so that really pulls people apart in terms of sexuality, because it's like, you're never going to understand, like from my perspective, for example, with my ex-husband, it's like, you're at work all day and you come home and you, and this is the idea that I had in my head, but like my ex-husband's not a horrible person. And this is not the vision he necessarily had in his head. But I thought that I I made up the story that when he walked in, he was expecting me to be wearing an apron, have a baby on my hip and be stirring dinner on the stove and smiling. But instead he would get home and I'm like crying or I'm just angry and I don't want to talk to him. And he wants to kiss me. And I'm like, don't touch me. Like I just, and I have no time for myself. And then the kids go to bed and he's like, okay, let's take off your clothes and love me. And I'm like, okay, let me take off my clothes and go away to the shower and not talk to anyone for 50 minutes. (laughs) Like that's all I want right now. Oh my gosh. And I, I, I bet you there are so many people listening to this right now that can see themselves in this. I mean, I, I really, I don't think I've ever like had a conversation with another mother where they haven't talked about this, right? Like, and, and, and saying these exact same things that we're saying, I wanted to mention, so I had heard this or read this, I can't remember where, but to me, it makes a lot of sense And so I'm wondering if you've come across this. So in order for men to connect really well with their partner, they connect better sexually, and then they're able to connect emotionally. Whereas women, we need to connect first emotionally, and then we can connect sexually, which is kind of where we have this issue, right? Because if the mom is staying at home watching the kids or with the kids most of the time and our partner is away for the day at work or what have you, they come home, we're missing that emotional connection and we can't just jump to the sexual connection. And so it can be really difficult to get back on board with our partner because of that mismatch. Yeah, absolutely. It's very true that women do need that emotional connection. And I think when we when we think about that, we think that that means that hubby's got to come home, the kids are in bed, and then you guys sit down on the couch with a glass of wine and have like a deep conversation. And that is not what it needs to be. Like it can, and that's great and do it if you have the bandwidth to do it, right? Like my husband would definitely do that. But like also this is what emotional connection could look like. And this just happened tonight at dinner. And so I think it's a great example. I'm sitting at the table with my two kids, my husband, who my husband's my kid's stepdad. And my daughters didn't want to eat their salad. And they've been really picky about different vegetables. And so finally, we found salad as something that they'll eat. And so they didn't want to eat their salad. And my husband said, if you girls don't eat your salad, I'm going to tell Angie, who's my mother-in-law, and she takes them on Tuesdays in the summer, I'm going to tell Angie that there are no snacks and no treats when you go over next Tuesday. And what that felt like to me was he's on my side. He's on my team. He said it. I didn't prompt him, right? I didn't scold the kids and say, you need to eat your salad. And he you know, had to back me up or, or watch me do it. He said it with his own volition. It was like his idea. That feels like emotional closest to me. That feels like, okay, he's on the same team as me. He's parenting with me. He's doing this, right? When he takes the kids up for a bath, I'm not asking him to do it. It's just something that needs to be done. I think a lot of women are lacking that in their marriages. Their husbands wait for direction. What do I need to do next, right? I'm going to just wrestle around with the kids, even if it's their bedtime, because you're washing the dishes and I'm waiting for you to direct us and tell us what to do. Well, guess what? Husband feels like one of the kids to mom then. And then what happens? She treats him like he's one of the kids. And then she doesn't see him as a desirous. Like that's there's nothing sexual about a husband that feels like your child. And that's what a lot of women are dealing with. And so I coach a lot of women on stop treating him like a child. I, I talk to them about your languaging here. I want you to do it differently. I want you to say it differently because you're stripping him of his masculinity. You know, one of the things I am a huge feminist and 
I am all about woman power. And at the same time, in order for me to get through to men and help them change some of the ways that they absolutely need to change is to love them. So yes, I tell the men that I work with, I love them. And I actually tell them that because in order to receive feedback and and like constructive criticism from someone, you need to establish care and trust and safety with them first. And that's something that husbands and wives will struggle with a lot. And wives, moms, like, why don't you ever help me with this? Like, I feel so unsupported. Can you just take the lead in this? Or can you do this? Can you do that? It's like, that's like you're talking to a child. And when when husbands aren't getting the love and care and, and sex that they do need and really want, they can't take that feedback as well. And so it becomes this perpetual cycle of mother, son, mother, son, and, and son can never live up to what mommy expects. And that's a really hard dynamic. So I work with a lot of people to get out of that dynamic so that they can actually make progress in their relationship. And going back to what you were saying before about the article you read, men need sex for emotional connection, women need emotional connection. You know, I do think that men, it is important for men to, to give a little here, like give her the emotional connection, check in with her. Like, I know you're home with the kids today and that must be really hard for you. Because what I think is important is like, I'm hiding in a corner with my one cracker (laughs) and I have two kids behind me pulling at my leg, like smelling it, you know, from across the room. And a lot of times dads are eating lunch alone or they get to drive to work alone. Like those little things that like, oh, I'm so jealous that you get to drive. It's not that your job's not important. It's that I, for example, do my job and take care of my kids at the same freaking time. And like, I want that acknowledged. Like, hey, hon, I just want to let you know I love you. And is it, if it's a crazy day with the kids, like, I'm going to be home 15 minutes early. Like, that turns me on. Like, that's what makes me horny. Like, ooh. Oh, you you want to take some of the burden of this? You're with me. And and a lot of times it's not even that he needs to do anything. Sometimes when my husband walks in the door, he sits down at the bench next to and just stares at me. And I'm like, it's just nice to have you here. <laughs> like it's like I'm not the only one with all the responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So. Absolutely. And I do think from women I've talked to throughout the years a lot of it just feels incredibly overwhelming, you know, like just having to deal with work and the kids. And you also feel like you're balancing, you know, the schedule, you're scheduling in childcare, you're planning the meals, you're planning the groceries. You're, And I think obviously this is going to vary from family to family as to how much responsibility the other partner takes on. And I don't know how you would suggest kind of fixing this if it seems to be an issue, like, you know, with, I'm sure you see this all the time with couples, but like my husband's always really great about like, okay, these are the things that I'm always going to do. I know you don't like doing them. I will always load and empty the dishwasher. I know you hate doing that. I will always, you know, empty the, he always like cleans up the cat litter, you know, just stuff that I'm like, oh, like, I just don't want to add that to my day. And if there becomes something that, you know, all of a sudden I'm also not into doing that, I'm, you know, voice it and say, Hey, listen, like, I don't really want to do this this week. Let's switch it up or whatever. But I do think, but as you mentioned, you also don't want to be, (laughs) I think there's a really tough balance between oh shoot, I have, you know, a hundred things on my to-do list. And how do I break this up without sounding like a mom also to my partner, bossing them around, asking them to help me with X, Y, and Z because I'm feeling overwhelmed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the approach is important. One thing that I know a lot of husbands would love to see more of is their wife crying. I actually think that there's a lot of wives that they just get mad. And what's underneath that is sadness, like overwhelmed and just sadness. And what they come off as is just pissed and they can't take it anymore. And they're just like, fucking help, like do something, right? And it's like, you just elicit this shame in them when you like, I can never do anything right. That's what comes out. 
But instead, if I sit down and I, and I'm, what I really feel is sad, like I can't do this, my business is going to fail and I can't take care of the kids. And like, I'm a horrible mother. It's like, he'll grab my hands and, and just listen to me. And like one time my husband thanked me for crying, like a few months ago, he was like, wow, you never do that. And I've started to try to do it more, but it's really hard because it's like, we're supposed to just have it all together, like button it up and figure it out and fix it and be superwoman and just do it all. And it's like for, for so many moms and I don't want to veer off our path too much, but like for so many moms, it's like, we have so much shame and you know this about like trying to be a perfect mom. We see all these other moms and on the outside, they look really great. So it's like, why can't I do that? And it's that kills desire too. Cause it's like, I'm not good enough. And then that transmits into I'm not pretty enough. I'm not sexy enough. My body is not good enough. Like there's all of this stuff that's in there. And so, you know, we can share more of an emotional connection with our partners and not, you know, mother them into helping by being vulnerable with them. And like, and then on, on the man side, like just listen, actually, we, we can probably fix it ourselves. Like women are pretty strong. Like we can probably figure out a good plan and maybe sometimes we, we figure out a plan together, but we really just want you to sit there and listen. You don't even need to say anything. Like I know what I'm going to do about it. Or sometimes there's nothing that I'm going to do about it. I'm just feeling something. Today's episode is sponsored by Haya. Haya vitamins are pediatrician approved, super powered vitamins for kids. Most children's vitamins are filled with five grams of sugar, but Haya uses monk fruit, which is a tropical melon that is 100 times sweeter than sugar to sweeten their vitamins. And they have zero sugar. We started using Haya about a year and a half ago and our kids love them. I was a bit skeptical going from a gummy vitamin filled sugar around it to a vitamin without sugar, but they didn't blink. The formula was designed with nutritional experts and includes vitamin D, B12, C, zinc, folate, and many others to help support immunity, energy, brain function, mood, concentration, teeth, bones, and more. Your first order will arrive with a refillable glass bottle to decorate. Stickers are included and our kids had a blast decorating their vitamin bottle. I have a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin for you all for 50% off your first order. To claim this, you must go to HayaHealth.com slash Lindsay, and that's capital L-Y-N-Z-Y. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash Lindsay and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. This link will also be in the show notes as well. The other thing that you had mentioned your husband just takes on certain things is you can trust him to do that, right? You like, he says, I'm going to do this. And then he follows through. And that's one thing for, for husbands that, you know, if husbands are listening to this or wives are listening to this, like you want to know that your partner, whatever gender they are, can trust that they're going to follow through with those things when there is no trust. It's like, well, that means that I have to take on my responsibility. And then I have to take on the responsibility that you said you were going to take on. And then when that gets broken down over time, you just stop like expecting that to happen and you take it on and you're just, you're full, you're full to the tippy top. And it's just like, forget it. How do you sexually desire that person, right? Like the first step in sexually desiring someone is liking them. And if you don't <laughs> like your spouse, like how are you going to have sexy time with right. them? You're not, right. Right. right? So like you have to be able to like them and you have to be able to trust them. And then we can start exploring some of these things. And so like for most of the couples I work with, like it's a long time before we get to the topic of sex. Like sex is always the fun one and people want to talk about sex. But truthfully, I don't, I'm not at a place with most of my couples where I talk about sex. Like it takes, you know, sometimes a year for us to get to the topic because we need to get to the friendship actually, right? We need to be able to trust each other, like trust that you're going to be there for me. Trust that you're going to try to understand me when you don't. Trust that you're going to see me like a a huge pillar of relationships is like being known, which means like you see me, you understand me, you deeply feel me within your being. It's like, if you have that, I mean, the sex is going to be flowing because you, we will desire each other 
in that way because no one else is going to match that relationship. But if you're struggling in that area with your spouse, well, maybe you have that connection with your mom instead, or maybe you have it with your best friend, and then your spouse isn't first on your list and sex is not going to happen. It's not going to happen as frequently. And as consensually too, like some people do it, right? Because they think like, I should just be doing this. So I'm just going to basically submit and just let it happen because I know that he wants it or she wants it. It's not happening because you both equally want it. Right. And in which case, that's not very much fun. <laughs> like, you no. know, I mean, there's like yeah. the connection there is like just, I mean, there's nothing on the other side of it. So it's like. No, and that's the other thing. Like, so because of what I talked about in the beginning, where, you know, we have these ideals that have been ingrained into us societally, like women are, are really not conditioned to to and to like sex, enjoy it or, or want it or think of it as something that is for us. Whereas men have had that freedom in, in most cases to, to be sexual and to have sexuality be for them. So a lot of times women will continue if they haven't been educated otherwise to look at sex as for the man. I have sex because it's for my husband, right? It's for reproduction. And then it's for my husband to please him and make him happy. And if we're talking about libido, how do you get turned on when you're doing something for someone else and you're getting no gratification out of it, right? If I don't know how to have an orgasm, if I don't know how to turn myself on, well, why do I want to do it? And so we're going to have sex less frequently and it's going to be more of a chore to do. And then I'm probably maybe going to shame myself because my husband's telling me, well, you know, you, you don't love me. You never have sex with me. You don't want me. And you're like, oh God, like I do love him and I, I do want him. I don't want him sexually, but I don't understand why. Right. And it's, and I mean, I can imagine there's just so much shame in all of that. And it's just, I mean, and as you mentioned, I mean, obviously we're not going to get into this, but religion is just so much a part of this, depending on obviously if, you know, one of you or both of you are, you know, religious. And I, I can't even imagine the difficulties that might come with that and how, you know, someone might be raised. There's so much, so much that goes along with that. There's a lot of heavy weight. There's uh, a repulsion to sex in, in, in many cases with religion. It like, it's just like disgusting. And like, there's, right. it's like you essentially thinking of that. Oh, the Venus fly chop, like, boom, you think of sex and it closes. <laughs> like done. (laughs) I did want to say that you were saying when, you know, you're sitting down with your spouse and, or your partner, and you're just, you're having this conversation and, you know, either you're angry or you might be sad. I had seen somewhere and I really, really liked the idea of this because I feel like this honestly would be good for any conversation, even, you know, with a friend or family member or what have you is, you know, right when the conversation starts, the person seems upset, whether it's angry or sad or whatever, you can just ask them, you know, is this an instance where you want me to give you advice? Or is this an instance where you want me to just sit here and listen and not say anything back, like just to be a listening ear. And I found that to be like, profound, because I feel like, First of all, we're always assuming that the person on the receiving end is going to respond how we need them to respond. But it's really hard to gauge whether you want that person to be giving you advice, right? Or you just want them to just listen to how you're feeling. And they're two very different things, you know, depending on how you're feeling. And if I'm really just wanting someone to listen, but they're just telling me what I should be doing instead that usually does, it never goes in the right direction. (laughs) And it oftentimes just makes you feel worse or, or less seen, less heard. So anyways, I, I wanted to just mention that just because I, when I had first seen that, I was like, this is like a genius, but so simple at the same time, because I feel like it can really help the conversation go like in the right direction, you know? Anyway. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that's, that's really important here. And, and, and it brings up something in me around gender again, like men are conditioned to fix and save. And if they don't do that, then they think that they have failed. And again, shame comes up, right? So their wife is the person that they love the most. They're devoted to, they care for like 
They want to make sure that their family is taken care of because that's what men have traditionally been trained to do, right? Hunter gatherers go out, take care of the family, come back, protect the family. And when they see their wife in distress, right? She's in tears, she's in a puddle of tears, or she's angry, or she's something, they're like, okay, what do I need to do here to protect my family? And then wives get so angry. And and I have too, like, I'm not going to play the angel here. Like I have certainly gotten angry about that, but I didn't understand that. You know what? I really just needed to say, I know this is going to be hard for you, but I just want you to listen because I'm a big girl and I can fix it myself or I can caretake or there's nothing that needs to be fixed, but I, I just want you to listen right now. And so the message that I have for all men in, in their heterosexual relationships, really all people is default to listening and listen until you can't listen anymore. Meaning like they have stopped talking for some reason you need to have them stop talking, but like listen until you can't anymore first tell them like, okay, I hear you. I hear what you're saying there. And what do you need from me next? Or keep going. Like, I'm still here. Keep going. That sounds really challenging. And then like, it sounds like you're really angry, right? Like a lot of men are really afraid of their wives to be angry. But like, I'm very fortunate in that I have a husband who's like, you're mad right now, aren't you? And I'm like, I'm so fucking pissed. And it's like, <laughs> he's with me in it. We're like on a team together. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's like, so like, that's what we want to feel like in our partnerships. And again, we can link this and basically everything back to sex because it's like, I want to have sex with someone that gets me and that's on my team. That's on my side. It's us against the world. And so when we go outside and we talk to our moms and our friends and other people around us about our problems, but we're not a team against the world in our relationship first. It hurts all the other elements. So I'm really glad you brought that up because that, yeah. We touched on it a little bit, you know, where you have this like honeymoon relationship, you first meet your partner, then you get married, you have the kids and then poof. And I think it is very strange kind of what happens, you know, like when you, people always joke, well, why don't we have sex like we did before we had kids? And it's like, hmm, well, let me count all the ways and the reasons, you know, but I know that there are a lot of women that just say, well, now that I've had kids, I don't know, it just feels, it feels wrong to be doing that. And so I would love to hear your kind of thought process about like what you would say to women that do feel that way, that, that feel, you know, how can I get back to the woman I was prior that, you know, I mean, obviously the way that you make children is sex. Like this, there's, this is not like, you know, I think sometimes it's like, this big elephant in the room, like, no, these children were produced by having sex. Like, why (laughs) do you think, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I I, I don't know. And so why does it feel so wrong and conflicting? Because that's, they're a product of that. And that's, you know, having sex is a sign of a healthy relationship. What do you say to women and mothers that you talk to that do feel that way? Again, goes back to like the the foundation in this book, My Mother, Myself, which I so highly recommend because it's it's just a way of thinking about things and, and information that we we don't have before we become educated on this. But it does feel because sex is inappropriate for children, like it's not something that we just openly talk about to our children. Like we want to openly talk about it in terms of education. But like when we get down and dirty with our partners, like that's not something that we share with our children, of course. So there's a separation there. In the honeymoon phase of relationships, it's very spicy. We're discovering all of these things about our partner. And within the first six months, and actually there's a psychologist that I love that shared like the actual number of days until you actually truly know your partner. It's like around six months, you start to see all of these things that you once thought these like quirks that you were once so attracted to. So there are all these things in our partner that, you know, opposites attract, right? So we see all these things that are opposite from us. It's like, that's really attractive to me because he or she or they are something that I'm not. But then we get together, we live together, and we do something really hard, such as raising children together. And now that person who's the opposite from us is fucking annoying and 
and I'm not attracted to that anymore. Like, why can't you just do it the way that I do it? If you did it the way that I do it, life would be so much easier. And why don't you see it the way that I see it? And so what I really suggest is seeing the other perspective and really understanding it. And I have to be a bit pushy with some of my couples around this because they're they're pretty like firm in like, my way is the right way. Like, why can't you just be like me? But the reality is our partners are not us. We would not get together and marry someone who is a clone of us. That would be boring. And so- <laughs> a nightmare. <laughs> a nightmare. A nightmare. I don't want someone who's like, like cleaning the house every second and like freaking like, oh my gosh, like dusting. The oh my gosh. I can't even, like, honestly, I can't imagine because my husband, he's really good at like letting things go. So the kids are like playing, they're having fun. It's a disaster. Right. Like, and I'm like micromanaging, and I'm, like, yeah, you're getting dirty. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like cleaning up as they go. And he's like, can you? just please stop. But can you imagine if he didn't, can you imagine if he was also next to me? Like, Oh my gosh, I think I would go absolutely crazy. So as much as I look at him and I'm like, why aren't you? I mean, the opposite would be so much worse. (laughs) Yeah. So it's good. And And the kids would be worse. You need a balance because the kids need to see that it can be done this way. And it also can be done this way. And both things are fine and they're okay. Yeah. Right. Like we need to see the beauty in the fact that you know, for me, because I am so uptight about the cleanliness and the organization and stuff, like, I love to see this, like, relaxation of, like, pure fun and enjoyment happening. Like, that's important, right? And I can recognize that, but it gets on my nerves, and it's not attractive for sex. But in life, the more we can really calm our nervous system down is what we need to do. Like really look inside and say, I'm, I'm outwardly judging, but what's truly happening is I'm actually being really hard on myself that maybe I can't be the way that they are because I'm uniquely myself. And so then I'm putting that projection back on them and it's shutting down my sexual desire. So for couples that are, are struggling, you know, to, to have that desire after the honeymoon phase. I think that it's really coming from, I'm, I'm just realizing now that my partner's uniqueness and differences are actually not that attractive because they pose a challenge and they actually, they threaten my safety. And that's kind of a big phrase. But if you, if you think about it, they threaten my safety because we do things the way that we do them and not like I'm going to get killed, but like, We do things the way that we do them for a reason. And that's why I want people to work to understand each other because I clean the way that I do for a reason and it makes me feel safe in my home, right? And so I think when we can just get on each other's level a little bit more and understand why, like, so for example, my husband has adapted some of the things that I do and I've adapted some of the things that he does. And he does them because he knows that they're important to me and they make me feel safe inside my body and they reduce my anxiety when they happen. And so that brings us more into connection and and, ha- and they have the ability to stay together. Whereas one struggle that I had with my ex-husband is that he would be sitting on the couch yelling at me, why do you need to wash the dishes right now? Like you, that doesn't need to be done right now. They're like, like we want to, I want to relax together. I want to snuggle with you. And he might phrase it. And and there's nothing, he was right. But like the difference is that I feel seen by my husband. Like he, he recognizes this is really important to her that this gets done. And if this, and if I just shut my mouth and sit here, she's going to eventually come over with me and we're going to have that special time together. Right. But if someone's telling me like the way that you're doing things is not right, it's like, it's not sexy. Absolutely. It's like almost as if like when they, when someone does say, you know, that's their reaction. It's like, well, do you think I'm actually going to like change the way, like I can't change the way that I am, which is like after dinner, I want everything cleaned up and then I relax. I am, I'm very much the same as like, I will not be able to relax until everything is cleaned up and done. I just am that way. I I wish sometimes that I could not be that way, but there's no changing that behavior. Like that is how I've been my entire life. So I'm not going to have dinner and leave all the dishes everywhere and relax and then clean them up after the kids go to bed. Like I don't 
want that to be my life. I want everything cleaned up. Kids go to bed. I relax, you know, so that I can Um, finally sit down for the day. Exactly. Exactly. And that's like a very consistent theme with men and women. Like my husband will take a nap and then he'll get up and he'll make his lunch for the next day. And I just, that wouldn't, I I would wake up, I would be groggy. I wouldn't want to do it. I would push it off. And then I have to wake up to dishes with kids screaming and hitting me and make me food now. And it's like, well, that just made more work for me. Right. So exactly. I don't want that. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I always ask for questions from my community. And I kid you not, every single question that I got is exactly the same. Wow. What do you think it is? What do you think it is? <laughs> I have like, uh, like how many times per week should I be having sex? Well, okay. Well, we can answer that one. I think that's fun. But <laughs> no, it's just like every single question is why do I have no sexual desire or why have I lost my sexual desire after children? Like the same exact theme, which is just like, it's gone. It's gone. Where is it? Where can I find it? <laughs> why is it disappeared? So if you're listening to this and you're feeling that way, like this is so incredibly common. And, you know, you don't have to feel alone in it. But but since you brought that question, I'd love to hear your answer to it. Yeah. So I want to answer the other one first, though. Our hormones change and our priorities change. And previously, we prioritized something that was for procreation before we had children, right? And then once we've procreated, well, why do we need to do it? This is what our bodies will somatically tell us. And, and, and there may be professionals listening to this that have other reasons as well. And, and I, think that, I think that there are. But I see that as like, again, a foundational primary reason. Like, why am I doing, like, what is the purpose of this if I'm not having more kids, right? And, and I think, and then along with that, my priorities are doing the house, the kids, the job, right? And after that, we are spent and we have no more energy. And when you don't get sleep, you are not going to have a high libido. When you're tired, you, you're psych, I mean, psychosis happens after a while, right? So like, you're tired. And mothers carry most of the mental and emotional load for the family, unless their husbands have that on their priority list as well. And typically, it just does fall on the mother. So that is why. So sharing more of the responsibility. And I think that it can be important for a lot of couples to work with a professional on this, because I think that it's really, really hard and emotional to do. And that's what I see in a lot of my couples There's a lot of tears around like, I don't, I feel scared to leave the house when my husband has the kids. And that sounds bad. It's not that the kids are necessarily unsafe. It's just like, I feel scared in my body because this child is so attached to me. No one can do it as well as I can. But it's like physically separating yourself from your children and allowing your husband to have the responsibility is something that can be really helpful to gaining your independence back. And and rediscovering your sexuality is something that needs to be worked on. Like you need to masturbate and, and see how do I like to be touched now? Like it changes after kids. Your body changes after kids. Like my libido was, I, I had... I don't know. I mean, I had somewhat of spontaneous desire. And I think that spontaneous desire is something that that is rare. So I want people to know that, right? It's it's okay. It's I and I like people to ask this question. Not am I turned on right now, but how can I get myself turned on? Because after kids, especially after kids, but sometimes even before, you're not just going to magically be aroused. You're not just going to, men can do that a lot of times. They walk in the door, they've already got a boner. It's like, awesome. Like awesome. <laughs> you poke me with your dick. Like, yeah. And I'm washing dishes and I'm not going to be able to get them done. If you are kissing my neck and doing all the things, like, don't you see that there's a crying baby with a dirty diaper over there, but yet you're kissing my neck. That's annoying. <laughs> That's annoying. <laughs> um, So yes, priority. So I think making sex a priority, like putting it on your list of like, this is important to me. And that's, there has to be a perspective shift around that. And in in terms of how many times per week should I be having sex, it really varies for people. So 
in my professional opinion, and, and maybe I'll get some flack on this. This is if that's okay. But I do think couples should have sex at least once a week. Because if you are out of connection with each other for that much time, like more than a week, like I think even a week for, for me personally, it's too hard to come back into connection. Like I want to be in deep connection and sex is the way that you can have that deep connection. I want to be doing that frequently. And so I say like the goal when we're starting, you know, when people haven't had sex in a long time or they very infrequently do, let's start with pick a day of the week that is your date night that you're devoting to each other and you're having sex. And and sex can look like a bunch of different things. It doesn't have to look like penis and vagina. Like it can be a blowjob, you know, your partner goes down on you, like you have a hot and heavy makeout session. Like sometimes people aren't there, like moms have birth trauma and like, you know, there's a myriad of different things. But like sex is not just penis and vagina, obviously, you know, it's right. So having some kind of sexual and sensual interaction one time per week at minimum is my suggestion for people. But you know, you certainly don't don't feel shame if you're like not having sex every day. Like that's really unrealistic for people to do that. And especially, I mean, obviously if you're postpartum listening to this, don't be like, oh my God. Like when you're postpartum, like, I mean, obviously you get blessed around six weeks. And then, I mean, it is a very rocky road for like weeks, months afterwards, depending on where your hormone levels are, things can be super dry, really uncomfortable. Like you said, birth trauma, all of those, those different things will play into it. And I do want to mention that if sex is painful, and this is after six weeks, it should not be unless you, you know, have, you know, some reason for that, like birth trauma that your OBGYN had told you about, okay, like, listen, this is going to take longer to heal or what have you. But if it is very painful, and you had this seamless birth, obviously, I wouldn't say any birth is seamless, but you know what I mean? Like there was no significant trauma and you're feeling well otherwise, but sex is incredibly painful. Like I highly encourage you as much as you might feel uncomfortable about that, just calling your provider and telling them and making an appointment because it could be something really simple that can be easily fixed. And you know, you might just dwell on this and you have enough things on your plate that you need to worry about. And this definitely doesn't need to be one of them. And there can be so many different reasons why that might be. And I mean, every birth was different, you know, for me personally, and I'm, I'm sure for many people. And there were some births where afterwards I felt great. There were some births where I had excruciating tailbone pain for literally months until I decided to open my mouth and say something. And then I was referred to a pelvic floor PT and had a few sessions and then magically had no more pain. It's like advocate for yourself. You know, you should not be in this crazy amount of pain. It's just not normal. And we in the U S have the absolute shittiest healthcare post baby. I mean, healthcare in general in the United States is, is not where I would ever want it to be, but especially for postpartum, it is an absolute disgrace. And the fact that we're, you know, not even given enough time to heal and be with our babies, you know, is just crazy, but advocate for yourself, make an appointment, like figure it out because, you know, you don't need to live like that. So that's like super important. There was something else I wanted to, oh, I wanted to mention to you, I have a friend who, this was like years ago, she had mentioned this to me, but they were having some issues as far as like connection and things go and weren't having sex very much. And so they decided to do this, this like 30 day, have sex every day. type of thing. So going from nothing to like, and she had said it actually really helped it where like the first week or two was like really uncomfortable. Like, okay, like how do we kind of do this again? But then by like week three or four, they were getting like really creative doing different things. And like the first week or two was an extreme chore and like, okay, when are we going to do this? But then it was like towards the third and fourth week was, you know, really fun. And we were trying to think, and it was just like, way better after they had done this 30 day, I, I don't know what they call it, like a, like a sex vacation or whatever the heck it was. I don't even know. Have you heard of this? 
Yeah. And I'm wondering if it was Vanessa Marin, the sex therapist. I think she has a, I don't know if it's a program, but I have heard of this. And and it kind of goes back to this concept of have sex to want sex. When you don't remember how good sex felt, why would you want it? You have this abstract view of what it even was, because sometimes like when we're pregnant, sometimes we don't have sex for months because we're uncomfortable and big or sick or whatever is going on. And we kind of forget like what sex felt like. And so I tell people like have sex to want sex and and schedule sex because I had a couple who they, they had sex on Monday and then they were going to have sex on Wednesday. And the husband was saying to me in our session later on that I was really excited on Wednesday because I remembered what it was like on Monday when we had sex and I was excited to have sex again. If you don't have that recollection of what sex felt like, it's like, what's the point? So yeah, having sex more frequently, it's like you warm up to each other. A lot of people feel awkward with each other around sex. If they have my husband went away for a camping trip for like a weekend. He was gone for like, actually, I think he was gone for one night. And I, I remember feeling like, a little nervous to have sex again. I'm like, wait a minute, this is my husband. Like, why do I feel like this? But like, it was just like that newness that we got to create all over again. A lot of couples spend so much time together that again, another topic for another day, but like there needs to be more separateness in the relationship, more individualism in the relationship in order to have the desire for each other because you're so just together all the time that it's like, I don't feel curious about you at all as a partner because I know every little detail. Yeah. Well, I can only imagine that. I mean, I'm just speculating here, but I can imagine that got even more tough like in the past two years with COVID, with couples, a lot of people working from home and like having that partner all of a sudden magically home 24 seven rather than getting up and going to work and then coming home in the, you know, like just seeing and being with that person all the time, like they don't leave the house and how that might've like, you know, affected relationships, you know, in a negative way, just because you're not having that space to, to really miss that person or want, you know what I mean? Like, I just like, you know, my husband's working a couple days in a row. I'm like super excited to see him on the day that he has off. You know what I mean? It's just like that feeling. But if you, if you have this just no space for each other, even if that person is just, I don't know, in the office, like they're still home. They're still there. You're seeing them go to the bathroom. You're seeing them for lunch. You're seeing them. I feel like that's got to be really, really tough. Yeah. And I think it went both ways too. Like yeah. that, it's a really good point that you're making because I think, yeah, people just get tired of like, ah, we're in this like cramped space together. A lot of people don't have like really big houses where you can just space out. They're like right on top of each other. But then it also went in the way of like, wow, now my partner actually sees what I deal with every single day and they they can empathize with me and they can help me because they have more flexibility. So yeah, definitely went both ways, but for sure we need that space in our relationships to miss our partner. And when we don't have the space to miss each other, we have nothing to discover around each other. I look at sex like curiosity. I'm discovering something new for the first time. And I'm consciously doing that too. I'm not going into it thinking like, you know, not thinking about it and just hoping that's going to happen. I'm going into my experience every time consciously thinking like, what new thing can I learn? Or like, how are they going to look at, not they, how is my husband going to look at me differently tonight? Like, you know, how is he going to touch me in a way that maybe he's never touched me before? Or what's going to feel familiar that feels really good. Like either way can feel really safe, but like the curiosity of like what's going to happen is something that kind of keep peaks my interest every single time. And when couples forget to do that, or they don't know to like look for that, they just think it's the same routine with the same positions. Like some people think that in order to have good sex, they need to get really kinky and like get their flogs out and their handcuffs and like, you know, all their different things that they need. And like, I love all of those things because I tend to be like a pretty kinky person, but I also like most of the time don't use those with my husband because we just use our bodies to connect with each other. We smell each other. We feel each other. We touch each other. We look at each other. It's those like elements that are the best. You don't need to have a new crazy position where one person is standing on their head. Like, 
that, <laughs> that doesn't even sound good to me at all. Right. No, <laughs> like, no. But some people think that that's what it takes. Like, oh, I need to go into the swinger lifestyle in order to have a better sex life because things are boring. Cool. If that's what you want. And we can explore that, like not a problem. I have no issue with that. And I love talking to people about that kind of stuff. But do you need that? Is that why your sex life is not working? No, because I can attest to the fact that I have a very happy sex life and I haven't needed those things in order to make my sex life good. It's more because I don't look at my husband like, I know you, you know, head to toe. It's like, I, I want to figure out what about you I need to learn tonight or today. Right. I know. And (laughs) you're mentioning all of these toys and and this kinkiness and all of that. And it just brings me back to the ER where we see all the people where things (laughs) went wrong. Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, yes. It's like chief complaint abdominal pain. Oh, wait, it's not abdominal pain. (laughs) Oh, Uh, you know, it's like a surprise. Yeah, just just think about it first. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so is there anything that you think we might have missed, like any big things? I mean, obviously we could talk about a million different, you know, like avenues off of this, but is there anything that you think we might have missed hmm. in this tonight that you wanted to mention? I don't think so. I think we've covered a ton. We did. It's just so great. We did. Yeah, we did. It was great. I do have two random questions for you that don't have to do with sex. So, <laughs> well, maybe I guess yeah. your response could be related to that. But the first yeah. question is, if you could give advice to moms, just any piece of advice at all, what would it be? Mm. Have a sense of your individuality and rediscover that after becoming a mother. Like put it on your priority list because we so quickly become all about the kids as we've been discussing. And it's something that affects everything. Like our kids see us when we don't nourish ourselves and take care of ourselves. Our partner sees us. It hurts every relationship we have in our lives when we're not taking care of ourselves. And, and that's what they learn how to do. That's even what our spouses learn how to do. Like, well, if my spouse isn't taking care of themselves, and I guess I don't have permission to do the same, and then people wonder why they end up divorced. Well, it's because your spouse felt shame because you didn't take care of yourself and they didn't feel strong enough in themselves because you're going through a vulnerable time having children. And maybe they felt pressured to, you know, do the same thing, like they weren't giving enough. So in order for your relationships to not fall apart, for your intimacy to not go to the wayside and for your your children to to see a healthy person that's caring for themselves in multitude of different ways, like know who you are before you become a mom, before you make the choice. I think it's really important. Like some people don't have the liberty of making the choice of becoming a mother. And I understand that if you do have the choice understand who you are before you do that because those are the moms that I see the healthiest after they have kids and then discover that again because obviously you transform when you become a mom and and you have to discover your individuality again so but put that like at the very top of your list and then your relationship with your partner and then your kids and obviously you mentioned this in the beginning like I'm not talking about not feeding your kids and prioritizing having sex with your husband upstairs and just leaving your kids without food and water. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, people so quickly feel like, how could I not? They're like, you know, swimming in electrical wires downstairs. Like, that's not what I said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is. Yeah, like, I think, I don't know if I had mentioned it while we were recording, but yeah, it is. I think it's really difficult. We do become mothers to prioritize the relationship first. It's something that I have often struggled with. I often have to remind myself, like my husband, my partner is the most important thing. Our relationship needs to be healthy. Our kids want, you know, we want our kids to see us having fun, being together, you know, and just sharing these intimate moments And that's really hard to do if you're always prioritizing the children over your partner. And, you know, it's hard. I'm not going to say it's like this easy thing to do. And 
oftentimes, you know, I'll be like in the midst of, you know, doing the hundred things that need to be done. I'm making the lunches, I'm packing the backpacks, I'm feeding the kids breakfast or what have you. And, you know, my husband will come over and want to give me a hug. And I'm like, I don't have time for this. And it's like, well, yes, you do. Like, you know, so it's those little things, right. That you think, oh my gosh, I don't have time for that. But if you really think about it, like that is the most important thing you'll do that morning, right? Like, what is it going to take? It's just an extra minute, two minutes to like acknowledge that person and really give them that time because that relationship matters. It's really, really important. And there's a cycle too. Like if you prioritize your kids and then you're not paying attention to your spouse, what the kids see is like, I don't, I don't, I can't trust the other parent because all of mom's attention is going to me as a kid. So whatever the other parent says, you know, doesn't really isn't really as important as what mom says. And then and then there's this relationship struggle that happens between the kid and the other parent. And this is sort of on the extreme end that happens. But like, if it's dad, like dad gets put into a corner that you're like the weird one, you're like the alien of the family and mom and the kids are like the ones that are like the true family members like ride or die. And it's like, then there's a struggle there. And so like, as you can see, you know, I don't need to go through the whole explanation, but there's a lot of destruction that then happens in the family unit when that happens. And so mom and dad need to come together as a united force to the kids, like need to be on the same page about things. And sometimes repair needs to happen because it does can't always happen perfectly all the time. But like mom and dad need to put each other first and, and go away and have discussions away from the kids and have their private time so the kids can see a healthy relationship, can trust both parents equally. And, and that's how they feel safest. And, and they grow up to be secure individuals when they can see that. Yes. And, and I mean, I truly, it's like such an important thing to be able to see your parents having this like healthy relationship where, I mean... And it doesn't need to be perfect. Like the best thing you can do is have an argument with your partner and then them seeing you guys apologize and work it out, right? Like that's literally giving them an example of how to handle their own conflict. So nothing needs to be perfect, you know, like it's just showing them what, you know, this, what a healthy relationship looks like. And a lot of the times that is like how to handle conflict, you know, how do, how do they work this out? This disagreement, you know, one saying this thing, one saying the other thing and, and how are they going to work this out? How does it play out? You know, and apologizing, like seeing, like when, when, even with my kids, you know, I'll raise my voice or, you know, I say something I, I shouldn't have said or what have you. I, I go up there and, you know, it, it might take a minute. It might take an hour, but, you know, apologizing is like one of the like best things you can do in front of your kids or to your kids because they're like, okay, like this is, this is how these things work out. And I can see it in my kids now where like, you know, one of them will, do something the other one. And then they're like, you know, 15 minutes later, it's like, Oh, I'm sorry, without even being prompted. And these are just things that they see through you and just setting a good example, you know, anyway, my last question for you is if you could make a meal for your family that you think everybody would eat, that's relatively quick and easy. What would it be? Oh, so tacos, except that we had tacos tonight and my younger and daughter no one ate like, it. Well, <laughs> three of us ate it three of us ate it but they hated what was inside of it you know they my younger daughter uh, magically didn't like fish but she only likes guacamole in the taco shell so it's like okay my older daughter doesn't like pasta which is like a staple kids food which is makes things really hard like my kids like I try to eat really healthy I I tend to like and my kids ate sushi as their first food, both of them, which is so weird, but like <laughs> they did. So they have a very refined palate. So like pasta is like a pasta, but they love pizza and stuff like that. But I would say tacos is the closest that I can get. And it was crazy because when I was pregnant, I ate so much healthy food, so many veggies and tried to be, you know, the epitome of health and nourishing my body And then my kids come out and they're picky. And I'm like, how? Like, why? Like, I'm not picky. Like, (laughs) how did this happen? It is. It's Uh, bizarre. Like, four (laughs) kids over here, I have no idea. Like, every single one of them eats differently. And I'm like, why? How did this happen? (laughs) Yeah. 
And it's crazy. Like I, like my oldest, she, thank God for her because I mean, I, I cook and I cook and I cook and she's the only one that eats every single meal I ever make. Like she's like, mom, this is delicious. And I'm like, I know it's delicious, but no one else is eating it. But at least I have somebody I'm cooking for. I get bored. So I don't make the same thing over and over again. I, I would make my life a lot easier, but a lot of the times I try to do like new recipes and with kids, you know, I've heard from, you know, experts, I've talked to so many different people, like, especially like in podcast episodes and stuff. And they're like, well, kids really like to have like meals that they can like put together themselves and everything in separate compartments sometimes. And, you know, the kids don't like things all mixed together. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's certainly the case for my six and four year old that they're like, they need everything in a separate compartment. Like if it is mixed together, they will not ever touch the meal. Like it's oh, not happening. And Never. that's every single meal I make. Like, and I don't, I don't like <laughs> do, I don't do the whole, like, okay, we're going to do this for this one. And this, for, I just get four kids can't. So like, no. it's just made, it's made. And then they just sit there and they don't eat it. And then I get sad and then it's just a cycle, but <laughs> whatever. Yeah. So with the tacos though, it's really good because you can have everything separate there, obviously. That's true. And then my kids like absolutely love putting together their tacos, you know, like, okay, yeah. do I want a hard taco? Do I want a soft taco? Do I want chicken? Do I want beef? Do I want fish? Do I want rice? Do I, want, you know what I mean? Obviously you're not going to make all those things, but you can ask them ahead of time. Like, yeah. What do you want with your tacos? Today? What do you want? Yeah. Yeah. And that one's one of the easier ones and, and they really like that. So that's, that's always a good one. Thank you so much, Taya, for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with us about sex after kids. It was great. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me, Lindsay. This was so fun. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.